0: good morning. morning happy sabbath I was glad to see the uh sunshine this morning we've seen a lot of it lately don't get me wrong but i always like seeing the sunshine sabbath mornings it is uh just to me a uh, it just makes the day warmer you know Give me just a second here while I get organized. I enjoyed the special music this morning. I uh, closed my eyes. It took me back to 1978 um, Highland Academy. Uh, Elder Hallie Glass would sing His Eye is on the Sparrow. And uh, just very, very great memories about those days. So I appreciated the, the music. And I, I just want to make a comment about your young people. I don't know what you're feeding them, but they look very healthy. <laughs> and uh, it was nice to see them uh, taking up the offering this morning. Um, we, we don't have very many young people that tall at our church. But, uh, but you're blessed to have people who are looking out for your young people and are willing to take up offering for their, for their programs. Um, Let's begin this morning by having a word of prayer before we start. I'm just going to kneel. Please remain seated. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are our God, that it is you who places in motion the planets, that keeps things going, that guides and directs in our daily lives. It is you who will judge us. It is you who will. See us through to the end. We thank you for that, Lord. Be with us this morning as we open your word. May we gain a blessing from it. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I have a question for you this morning. And I don't ask this in a trite way, we're going to unpack this this morning. The question is this Do you really want to be saved? Now, this may seem like an odd question at first, okay? Despite, you know, having gone through a long week, um, we got out of bed this morning and we made some effort to attend church. While the world slumbers and sleeps, Seventh-day Adventists are up, heading to church. Now, granted, the effort we put forth seems trite when compared with the effort that our pioneers took. While our preparation and journey to church is relatively easy with warm showers, toasters, microwaves, gas, diesel, or electric-powered vehicles, our pioneers, on the other hand, had to fire up the wood-burning stove and cook breakfast. They had to feed and wrangle the horses, hitch them to the wagon, get bundled up and travel through snow, rain, or heat for an hour or so just to get to church. But we have made an effort nonetheless. We return faithful tithes and offerings. We donate our time to the ministries of the church. We participate in the activities of the church. And so to ask the question, do you really want to be saved? May be perceived as a bit of an insult. But bear with me this morning as we unpack this. Incidentally, we're not the only ones who have been asked this question. This is a question that was asked of the rich young ruler. You remember the story in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. And when he, Jesus, was gone forth into the way, they came, there came one running to him and kneeling and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now in verse 19, Christ reviews the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. The rich young ruler says, I've done all this from my youth. And apparently this man had been a very good man. Because Mark 10, 21 says, and then Jesus beholding him, loved him. Now, this is quite a statement in itself. The Apostle John is referred to in Scripture countless times as the disciple Jesus loved. So, to see in Mark 10 21 this statement, Jesus, beholding him, loved him, speaks volumes. No doubt Christ saw something in him that he would know would help in the advancement of God's kingdom, a character trait something that the Lord could use to bring others to him. And so Christ puts this young man to a test. One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross and follow me. Now Christ knew the weakness of this young man, just as he knows our weaknesses, And he presented to this young man the best offer he had. The call Christ was making to the rich young ruler was a call to discipleship. A call to be with Christ. A call to be like Christ. And so without asking the question, Christ is presenting to the rich young ruler a test. A test that forces this rich young man to answer the question. Do you really want to be saved? This is the call on the question that we have before us today. Now, if I asked this question this morning, I imagine everyone would say, Yes, I want to be saved. I really, really want to be saved. But unfortunately, not everyone answers yes. In Mark ten twenty two, we find that the rich young ruler was unable to say yes. Scripture says, and he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. The Lord knew what it was that was standing between the rich young ruler and the kingdom. Do you really want to be saved? Maybe we need to take a thoughtful look at what that might mean. Let's look at 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. When he shall appear, what? We shall be like him. The Bible is full of calls to personal decision, personal change, personal moral growth, when is that to occur? Now, our body is to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, in a split second, when Jesus appears. We call that moment translation, but that's the body. That is what in the composition of man is the dust part, the minerals, the material part. The character will be formed here and now. And when Christ comes, it will be what it is. When Jesus comes, we will already have become like him or not. Now that teaching of the Bible says enormous things about what a sound theology, a sound view of God and his plan of redemption must mean. It says volumes about what salvation means. What you believe about God affects how you live. Always. Your theology, your understanding of the word about God impacts how you behave. Always. Everyone seems agreed on their wanting to be saved. But over the years, few have actually weighed out with care what a belief and a need for salvation actually means. Many are content to view Christianity as a free ride to heaven. Paid on Jesus' tab with no requirement on our part. There's a misguided notion that has developed within Christendom that Christ will return and change us to what we should be. That all we have to do is say we believe. That we can be saved and then do as we pleased. We can be as mean and nasty and ornery, as unkind, and ugly as we want to be. We can rationalize our way through the counsel of Scripture, picking and choosing what we think is right, and then Christ returns, and shazam. He's going to change us, and we all get to go to heaven. But the Bible proposes something quite different. It says that when Jesus comes, we will have already become like him in character. Whether we're alive and remain until Jesus comes, or whether we die before he returns, there comes a point of closure. A time when what we are becomes settled, final. Revelation 22, 11 says, that a time arrives before Jesus' second coming when he who is unjust will, for the remainder of his existence, past that time, remain always unjust. When he who is filthy will remain filthy when he who is righteous will remain righteous and when he who is holy when that time comes for the remainder of his existence will remain holy hebrews 9 offers it is appointed unto man once to die but after this the judgment in greek this word is the krisis, the word from which we get Our word, the crisis. We are fast approaching the second coming. The time when Jesus appears and those who have learned to be uh, like him, as Revelation 14.4 says, will follow the lamb wherever he goes. How do we get there? Certainly not by our own strength. It is only and entirely by following Jesus, by copying him in God's strength, entirely by, in this life, letting him make us not merely less sinful, but Christ like altogether. You know, of course, what this experience is called. Turn to Revelation 7 1 through 3. Are we there? And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. You know, when I was a young man growing up, I grew up in a little town, uh, Peewee Valley, Kentucky. You may have heard of it. And we heard a lot of sermons about things like the ceiling, about um, the great controversy, the mark of the beast. Not hearing those sermons as much anymore. I'm finding sometimes today that our people haven't heard of them either. What are we reading? If you're a member of the Seventh-day Adventist church and you're not familiar with the sealing, if you have questions about the mark of the beast, and you're reading books like The Purpose Driven This or Philip Yancey That, don't wait another moment. Put those books down. Pick up your Bible. Get your great controversy and resolve to see what what saith the Lord on these things. Sister White puts it this way, The ceiling is a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so that we cannot be moved. Regardless of what's happening around us, regardless of what's being said to us, regardless of what's being said about us, regardless of what is happening in or out of the church, at work, in government, wherever, we cannot be moved. We see what's going on in the world today. People are getting canceled for their beliefs. We've got to stand up for what we believe in, and we have to know what we believe in. So before Jesus comes, his followers will undergo a sealing, a settling into the truth. It stands to reason that if there is A settling into the truth, there can also be a settling outside of the truth. But this happens again when? Before Jesus comes. So this has to happen when we're alive. Settling into is an enlightening phase. It's a process, a process of character development, a process of personal change. It requires transformation hard decisions, gut-wrenching decisions, a realignment from one kingdom to another. To facilitate the sealing, there's a change that must happen. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. At the fall, the status between us and Satan was changed. A new alliance was formed between the devil and the humans. The kingdom of selfishness gained some advocates. But God promised he would intervene. He would change his people. But this is not a passive thing. Philippians 2:12 and 13 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This working out of our salvation is a cooperation. God does his part, and we do our part. While we are all too willing to be saved, some run for cover when they hear about this work that needs to be done, this cooperative aspect in the plan of salvation. But they're running from exactly... What the Bible shows is their personal responsibility. If you're concerned about this working out of our salvation, which again is scriptural, we just read it in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Revelation 22, 12 says, And behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Ellen White discusses this change that has to occur in the great controversy page 506, God declares, I will put enmity. This enmity is not naturally entertained. When man transgressed the divine law, his will became evil, and he was in harmony and not at variance with Satan. There exists naturally no enmity between sinful man and the originator of sin. Both became evil through apostasy. It is the grace of Christ that implants in the soul that which creates in man enmity against Satan. Without this converting grace and renewing power, man would continue the captive of Satan, a servant ever ready to do his bidding. You know, when we're talking about wanting to be saved, we're not just looking at the far end of eternity, okay? We're not talking about, you know, what's going to happen in a few years, We're also talking about the environment we want to live in eternity. You know that when you give your soul and your heart to the Lord and you decide to do his will, eternity starts for you that day. We're talking about the kind of behavior we want to experience for all eternity. We're talking about the kind of behavior we ourselves will exhibit for all of eternity. We're talking about a kingdom, a way of life, a mode of existence that we are committed to for all eternity. In fact, when we say we want to be saved, we're really talking about the kind of behavior we want to model here and now. A behavior that we will continue in for all eternity. We have to ask ourselves then, what claim am I making here and now, and am I making it convincingly? Because if I support God's plan to govern the universe this way for all eternity, and I plan to live in such an environment for all eternity, and I am committed to living that kind of unselfish behavior for all eternity, if I'm looking to make a case for that kind of living for all eternity, if I'm desiring to model now the behavior that I believe we should all live in for all eternity, then what am I saying? I have to be saying that I'm committed to heaven doing something to me here and now. To God changing my basic moral alignment, I'm saying that I want my life here and now to be a window into a different kind of world. In short, you cannot say, that you want to be saved, that you really want to become unselfish and stay that way for all eternity and then live in the here and now without respect to that. You cannot just push off the implications to some vague time in the future. You have to live today as you plan to live for all eternity. Because how you live today with all that's going on around us. With the challenges and the conflicts occurring both locally and globally, both inside and outside the church, and the effects, and how the effects, and cre- both inside and outside the church, the decision will affect how you live and the credibility of the message that you give to others. You have to live this way or your witness is worthless so why would we not want to do this why would we want to hold on to our bad habits why would we want to hold I, I remember it just popped into my head I remember seeing a t-shirt once that said I love my bad attitude why, 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 why would we want to do that if we're Christians if we're committed to Christ Why not partner with God to live the life he requires? Could it be that somehow we have been sucked into a short-sighted view of the gospel? Many times we sabotage God's work by downplaying our distinctive Adventist beliefs. Someone asks, what do you believe in? Well, I believe pretty much what you believe. We don't want to talk about the health message or Ellen White, or the judgment. We try to assure people we're just like them. Is that what the world needs? Is that what the world's looking for? Something that mirrors what every other church has? Something, for lack of a better word, is average? You know, when I was dating my wife at Southern Adventist University, not once did I want her to think that I was average that I was like anybody else on campus. I wanted her to believe I was the most interesting guy in the world. Somehow I pulled it off. And you know, not once did Tanya ever point out to me how much she was like all the other girls. Never happened. Tanya was not average. She never has been. Never has been. She's not average now. I never went to a car lot looking for an average car. Have you? I, 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 have you ever gone house hunting to find that one house on that one street where all the houses looked alike? That's your dream house. Is that is that what you're looking for? When you set your sights on a career, did, did you want a job like everybody else, just an average job? Not likely people are really not interested in average. We're not interested in something that mirrors what can be found everywhere else. And people aren't looking for an average church, a church that is like every other church. We live in serious times. People are looking for the truth, the truth that we as Adventists have. When we refuse to develop the implications of what we believe, When we stop short of talking about the great controversy, when we don't even try to engage people in a way that honors the distinctive truths that God has given to us. If we go about emphasizing the truncated, shortened, minimized, genericized, blanded down picture of what we are as a church, we sabotage God's work. The church is the bride of Christ. Christ will not settle for an average bride. He desires that we be a special people. Speaking to the church, Peter said in 1 Peter 2.9, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. It would be ludicrous for us to assume That God's church, that God's people in these last days can be anything less. Somewhere, our profession, our claim must become our current reality. So we're caught between what we want I want to be saved and what we actually want. I kind of want to do it my way a little longer. Got these little sins that are, you know, I like my bad temper. You know, my bad attitude, rather. Okay, we want to keep doing that. That's that's us. And what we know we should desire, and it, perhaps at least vaguely desire, to live forever in an environment surrounded by others who exhibit the character of Christ. And to ourselves, be Christ-like for all eternity. Something needs to change inside of us. All our excuses need to be laid aside. All the free passes we give ourselves, granting our own indulgences where we justify to ourselves our continued sinning. All of those have to be laid on the table. We've got to give those to God. Something must change. Our desire has to change. We must pray to God. And ask him to change our desire. To lead us to desire, to desire to be willing. We should ask God to change what we want. David prayed this prayer in Psalms 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We can pray this prayer. We can choose to do this. We can choose to ask God to make us willing to be made willing and he will work in us to bring us to that. As our desires change, our life will change. What we are will be changed. We will be moving from one kingdom where all our bad habits have been formed to God's house. We need something that only God can give us. No education, no methodology, no training, can, without God's empowerment, do anything lasting for us. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. With Jesus, we may expect, and we inevitably will experience new spiritual life. We will be changed. What we are will reflect a journey similar to that of Enoch, we too can walk side by side with God. We will actually be moving from the kingdom of sin and death into the kingdom of love and righteousness. We will transition from selfishness to unselfishness. And those whom our lives touch will know it. They will see it. And by God's grace, we can be used to help them go through this transformation as well. This shift will give a renewed witness for Jesus and his kingdom through our lives. The scream of the world for something better will be answered. The key to this whole matter is simple. He, Christ, must increase and I must decrease. The kingdom we have grown used to and all its excuses for lingering just a little bit longer continuing just a little longer to make choice to sin, to sin those supposedly minor sins. Those days are gone. Now Jesus must increase. His unselfish kingdom must increase. We, as his church, are his sales representatives. We are his ideologues, his adherents, his followers, his lawyers, his elect, his army. We are Christ's evidence in the great controversy. His kingdom will go forward. The kingdom you and I have contributed so much feudal support to must decrease. God has something better for us. We can either work these problems out with Christ's help now so that we are like him when he comes for us, or we can reap the bitter fruits of our refusal to repent when he returns brothers and sisters let's confess our sins let's say set aside these bad habits and let's put christ back on the throne where he belongs let's not make this complicated it's not complicated. And I never said, and God never said it was going to be easy. Okay? But it's a necessity. We've nurtured our bad habits for far too long. And it is only the power of Christ that will help us to overcome them. But Christ can get us through this if we let him. I want to close this morning with one of my favorite Bible texts. I don't think I've ever settled on a favorite Bible text, but one of my favorite Bible texts, James 1.12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. We must endure. We will be tried. But if we are faithful we will receive the crown of life. May God help us. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are willing to work with us. Sinful and difficult though we may be, Lord, help us to hear you speaking this morning not the words that I have said, but the words that you have said. Help us to take this to heart, to help one another through this journey, to be ready for that day when you return. In Jesus' name, amen.